Welcome to the new WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. Over the next half hour, WellMed Radio will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Marissa Charles and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. Here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Marissa Charles. Well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, delighted to be here as your host, along with our co-host, Dr. Marisa Charles. Dr. Charles is a physician here in the greater San Antonio area. You find her at the Ingram Clinic if you happen to be in San Antonio. Uh, She is also a DO, Doctor of Osteopathic Medicine, and as a specialty sees in her family practice, predominantly those who are age 65 and over. Dr. Charles, great to see you. How was your weekend? Oh, it was good, Ron. It was pretty slow. Still, you know, COVID. We're not going very many places. So just quiet um, a couple days at home with my family. Well, slow is good. Nothing wrong with slow. Nothing wrong with slow. I love it. Well, we've got a very special guest joining us, Dr. Martha Ford, also a doctor of osteopathy. She's with the WellMed at New Tampa Clinic in Florida. Dr. Ford is a physician there and received her bachelor's degree at the University of Florida in Gainesville. Her medical degree from Nova Southeastern College of Osteopathic Medicine in Fort Lauderdale. Dr. Ford completed her family practice residency and rotating internship at Florida Hospital in Carrollwood in Tampa. So a whole lot of Florida in her background. (laughs) Dr. Ford, great to have you on WellMed Radio. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate being invited and and, um, and it's it's a pleasure to join you. So are you a native Floridian? I am. I am. I um. There's, if y'all are familiar with Florida, the Tampa's kind of in the middle of the state, and there's a small town about 30 miles north of Tampa, and that's where I grew up. It was. It's called Dade City, and and I just, I just kind of found myself getting drawn back to it over and over again, and now that's, I'm, I've now I've got this job here in Tampa, and it's a short drive from. From north, from the northern cities, and um, that's cool. Yeah, I consider myself a Floridian. Well, Dr. Charles grew up in a tiny little town, Zapata, I did. Texas. I did. A population of about six. <laughs> that's about right. So I, I totally get it. I also just kind of did my roundabout Texas and stayed. Of course, Texas is also pretty big, but um, living in San Antonio now, but originally from a tiny town near uh, the border in Laredo, Texas, that that area. So. Well, Dr. Ford, one of the, one of the things that uh, we had talked with you about talking about on Wellmet Radio today is the whole question of and importance of blood donations during COVID-19. Uh, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We have an incredible number of people who have died, incredible number of people who are infected, uh, some of whom need blood transfusions. And the challenge, of course, is getting enough blood. So talk to me a little bit about uh, the importance of blood donations. Well, the the it, it's it's a critical part of our emergency care, as well as as it's got applications now also with um, with COVID patients for the plasma. And I think when when everyone started socially distancing and people became fearful of going to gatherings or going going out places, and and the the blood banks weren't able to do their drives 
and uh, community outreach programs like they used to, and it and it suffered. They suffered from that. They um, the the donations went down, and the demand is still there. And so, um, you know, they're they're sending out a, a bulletin to medical medical folks to to encourage our patients to go and donate. Well, who can donate? Well, from the the age, the youngest sixteen with a parents. Um, with a parent's consent, consent form. And really, there is no upper age limit to donate. So you can be 110 and uh, still get blood, right? <laughs> I know. I know. There, there are certain things that, that could prohibit you from donating, like certain medications that folks in the senior population might be taking. Um, and I can go into that uh, later if you'd like, but there are, it's, it's just a very generous thing to do for your community if you can. Well, what's, what are some of the medications? For example, I take Eliquis and I'm not sure that's something I want to pass on to somebody else. Right. That would be, that would be on the list of, of medicines to avoid. Eliquis um, being a blood thinner. A blood thinner, yes. And so that goes the same with Xarelto and um, Coumadin and Warfarin even aspirins, that that can, can thin your blood. Aspirin is not a contraindication, but they say that they're with, with your, with Eliquis, for example, you're supposed to be off of that for two days before you consider donating. Um, and, and because of the reasons you're taking the medication, uh, it, you'd have to have, make sure that you get your doctor's approval before stopping any medications, of course. Yeah, I used to be a regular donor and, uh, uh, in, enjoyed doing it, and for years uh, would would give you know quite a bit every year, but haven't since I've started uh, a number of different medications. We don't need to go into them here, but uh, let me assure you, I fall into the donut hole pretty early in the year. <laughs> yeah, that's that's it. I I understand. Talk to me also about uh, when you mentioned there's no age limit. Do you encourage your patients uh, to give blood? Well, you know, it, I after doing some research for this discussion, I'm I am I'm going to change my practice and make it more of an effort to to bring up the discussion and encourage folks to to donate when they can. Um, it we have male patients that are on testosterone, and it's recommended that they donate a pint of blood once a year um, because just because their blood can tend to be thickened. So in that group, we were always, you know, nagging them about going to give blood at, on a regular basis. But, um, but it does, there are a lot of overall health benefits for all patients. So there is actually a benefit to donating. With testosterone in the blood as a blood donor, do people who get it start growing hair on their faces? <laughs> no, I don't think it would be okay. I know it sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? And Dr. Charles, you encourage your patients to give blood. You know, um, like Dr. Ford was saying, it doesn't often come up in, um, you know, our regular discussions, but considering the shortage at this time, it's definitely worthwhile having that conversation with patients now. Um, of course, you know, if a patient's uh, weakened, if they are anemic, you know, we have to make sure that their blood counts are in a certain range, but, you know, encouraging blood donations. I know, Dr. Ford, you were mentioning that there are health benefits 
to uh, donating blood. And most people don't think that way. They think that if they're going to donate blood, that it's going to weaken them further or make them feel just very uh, weak and lousy. Um, can you explain a little bit more of you know, what research you've done that shows some benefits to health in donating blood? Um, the, in, a, in, a, um, in the American Journal of Epidemiology, um, they did a study that showed that 88% of blood donors were less likely to have MIs or strokes. What's an MI? Heart attack or stroke. Um, heart I'm attack sorry. or a stroke. Heart, Whoa. A heart attack or, or a stroke. And they think it's because it, that when you're when you're donating, it regulates your iron level, and that some people, because of diet or supplements, that over a long period of time that, that too much iron in your blood can cause inflammation and lead to cardiovascular disease. Wow. Hold that thought. Very interesting. Yeah. Hang on one second. I want to let people know who may have just joined us. You listen to WellMed Radio and we're delighted to have as our special guest, Dr. Martha Ford. She's WellMed at New Tampa in Florida and our co-host, Dr. Marisa Charles is with us as well. Uh, that's interesting. You know, you think back, my, Kids and, and, and wife were talking about uh, George Washington the other day and how uh, during his lifetime uh, they'd go to the barbershop to be bled, that that's one of the ways in which they uh, treated disease. Uh, they'd let a little blood out. And Dr. Ford, you're, you're shaking your head. Yes, you're not doing that now, right? No, 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 no. And I mean, it's of course, and I think, you know, there are, when you go back in medical history, there are, you know, some interesting theories that, that went around as commonplace at the time, but it 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 does have a refreshing effect, according to what I've been reading. That's interesting. Well, that's very interesting. Yes. Now, for um, those so, who oh, go ahead, Marissa. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just gonna um, you know kind of mention again uh, how you know how the the blood donations are used and in special importance right now because of COVID. You know what some of the uses are in the hospitalized patients that have COVID. And maybe Dr. Ford could tell us a little bit more about that. Well, the, that um, that of course it's it's intuitively we know that the the blood does have a shelf life, and the red blood cells will last for forty two days. The platelets will last for five days, and the plasma can be frozen and can last up to a year. And those are the three parts of the blood that are separated after you donate. Um, if an average requirement by an automobile accident patient could be at least eight to 12 units of blood in that, in the emergency room alone. How many do we have? We have eight. Eight. So this is somebody who's actively bleeding um, and they're trying to, for example, fix lacerations or, you know, um, you know, where that blood is pooling maybe in the abdomen or somewhere like that because of, of a severe trauma that you can go through that many units. So, you know, again, and if we're in a a shortage, you know, there could be lives that could have been saved that perhaps wouldn't be if there's not enough blood in the blood bank um, to serve those patients when they need it. No, I know a lot has been written about developing artificial blood, a blood substitute. Uh, Do either of you know, are we any closer to that? I am not aware of anything. I can't say that I've researched that recently or that I would um, know too much about uh, blood replacement or an artificial blood. But, um, I mean, we do know the benefits of, of you know, the, the 
the products that we do have now. So um, obviously it would be fantastic if they could come up with a replacement that could be used um, instead of actual blood products. Now, I know they say that uh, know. people who are O negative are universal donors, that uh, their blood can go to anybody. Yes, and that's giving it special value. So people who are O negative are, are really, in many ways, fortunate, but can save a lot of lives by being regular donors. That's correct. So the, right, the tough part about you know the O negative is that they can give blood to anybody. They're the universal donor, but they can only receive from other um, people that are also O negative. Oh. Um, you know, so, you know, pros and cons to everything, you know, just like AB. Um, so there's A, there's B, there's AB, and then there's O. So then, um, you know, A's can give to A's. Uh, so an A could receive blood from either an A or an O. And an AB could receive from anybody. They're the universal recipient. So they can get blood from a person who's A, from a person who's B, from a person who's O, or a person who's AB. They can get it all. But they can only give it to other people that are also AB. And either plus or minus. Right. Those should be right. You can give negative blood to a positive person. You can't give positive blood to a negative person. Wow. Can we talk a little bit about, there's been so much discussion about uh, COVID-19, but not a lot of detail about what's happening to people who come down with that virus. Uh, what, what is it in terms of how it infects the body? Uh, how does it cause problems? And some, and I don't think anybody's got the answer to this, some people can be totally asymptomatic and some people die. I know. I know, and it's the the folks that are that are in the over sixty five population and the the frail are most at risk. Yeah, and what right. is the so, what is the virus doing to the body, Marissa? Well, I mean, in in some ways, it is similar to a a cold virus. You know, it is coronaviruses or, or the viruses that have caused common colds for you know as long as as we've been able to identify viruses. But um, it seems that it has a much higher likelihood of causing respiratory difficulties. And that's the people that tend to get into the most trouble. So um, the most common symptoms that we'll see, of course, are fever and chills and body aches. Um, And then every now, you know, we have some patients that will come in and maybe don't feel all that bad, but their oxygen levels will be very low, you know, in the 80s, um, sometimes in the 70s. And those are the patients that will start to develop shortness of breath and difficulty um, uh, needing a, a higher concentration of oxygen for an extended period of time. All right. Now, both of you stay with me just a minute. We're talking about giving blood, receiving blood and COVID-19, which is a pandemic that is just racing across the country. Our special guest is Dr. Martha Ford, Wilmot at New Tampa, Florida. And our co-host, Dr. Marisa Charles, is with us. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to WellMed Radio. You may be experiencing anxiety or stress regarding all the news about COVID-19 or what is commonly referred to as coronavirus. You are not alone. Optum is opening its emotional support helpline, providing access to specially trained mental health specialists. This is a toll-free number and it will be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week for as long as necessary. This is a free service. Anyone in need of emotional support is welcome to call. 
The number is 866-342-6892. That's 866-342-6892. One more time, 866-342-6892. Well, we thank you so much for sticking with us here on WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Marisa Charles. And we're talking on our WellMed Radio hotline with Dr. Martha Ford. She is a doctor of osteopathy at the WellMed Clinic in New Tampa, Florida. And we started out talking about blood donations and then segued into the whole question of COVID-19. And as Dr. Ford pointed out just a couple of moments ago, if you are over 65 years of age, you are at special risk for COVID-19. And one of the things I I know, uh, uh, Dr. Ford, that uh, we see more and more written about, everybody needs to wear a mask, needs to wash their hands. And now people are talking about you need a double mask. Uh, And and that would mean putting two masks on uh, because of a more virulent form of COVID-19 that is now beginning to uh, stretch across the country. What are you telling your patients in Florida? Well, you know, we'll have folks coming in with all sorts of, of craft-made masks, you know, and I think some of them are fashion masks or, you know, but they they have to have a certain, you know, medical-grade quality. And um, so it, we've, we've been using just the, the surgical masks. Um, I don't see in just day-to-day regular going about – grocery store and things like that, I don't think that having to to wear two masks would necessarily be needed. Um, However, when we see a patient that we believe is at high risk for COVID-19, we'll wear the N95 mask with the surgical mask over that. Now, the N95... An extra step. N95 is the the top of the line for masks, right? Yes, Yes, like the kind of the ones that you see on television that the nurses in the hospitals are wearing. Dr. Sanjay Gupta on CNN wears a uh, N95. Dr. Charles, what about at your clinic? Are you telling people to double up? So, you know, one of the big things is the, the cloth masks do need to be of a certain, you know, you have to have a certain amount of protection because just a regular, like say you put a handkerchief over your mouth, that's not necessarily going to give you as much protection as one would think. Um, one quick trick to see if you've got enough protection is to see if you can blow out a match or a, a lighter through the mask. So with your mask on, um, you know, just with a little match or a lighter, just see if you can blow it out. If you can, then you need more um, protection. You know, you need to maybe get a, a second layer over that or um, looking into something like the surgical masks. The surgical masks are thick enough, the, the material is thick enough that you cannot blow a candle out or a, a match out through the mask. You know, what's interesting, when I was a kid, everybody carried matches or, or cigarette lighters. Today, nobody does. Mm-mm. So where in the world do you find matches and lighters, right? <laughs> It's well, a challenge. I know it's it's your your household candles that that <laughs> yeah those are the only you know, ones that I use. So these nice. days. You're right. Yeah, we use those propane sticks that we light them with. Yes. Well, that'll work. Yes. Yeah, that'll you know. work. So <laughs> talk to me more. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit more about 
COVID-19. And, and Dr. Ford, I know patients are probably calling you from time to time. Uh, they think they have COVID-19. What are, from, from your standpoint as a provider, what are the key symptoms that raise a warning uh, in, in your mind? Well, we, we have a list of questions that the, the receptionist will go over with the patient when they call. Um, the, the big one, I think, that's, that's across the board is, is fever. However, we've had people that had COVID that did not run a fever. So there's always these exceptions. But um, a temperature that would be over 100 degrees, um, the, the loss of taste and smell, like even I mean, we had a patient that said she couldn't taste the Listerine she was using to gargle with. And wow. that would be a pretty startling. Yeah, that would be, you know, a yeah. very strange sensation. In some, ways, know, um, in some ways, that's a blessing. Who, who likes well, the Listerine, I know. right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah. I know, that's, but that's for sure. that's pretty impressive because that's a pretty strong flavor there, you know. I know, I know. And I thought, Not well, you know. you that at all. That's interesting. It's very strange. And um, and so those, and pretty much anyone who says that they've lost their taste, um, then we're, we kind of presume that they are, that that's the infection. Um, coughing, uh, shortness of breath, extreme fatigue, like um, not just feeling tired, but just like where you could sit down at any time and just take a nap right there. Like that's, mm-hmm. that seems to be a, a common complaint. And um, and we've in our in our community we've seen a spectrum of cases where people had what they thought was just a mild cold and then for whatever reason they ended up getting tested because because they just that that just kind of their job required it or whatnot and they would be positive and they said that they through no fault of anyone's but they would have been going about their business and and not really thinking that they were spreading anything or, or contagious in any way. So it, the, the importance of mask wearing, we always try to emphasize. Well, I know for sure in, in San Antonio, we've had the cedar um, season, you know, that's been very rampant. So, so many patients that just felt like it was their allergies. I've had quite a few that we've tested that came in just complaining of some, you know, runny nose, a little congestion, maybe a mild sore throat, but just feeling like they would with their allergies and they turn out to have the the virus as well. So it does have quite a significant range as far as the severity. Uh, Like you were saying before, Ron, where some patients will have a very mild case, but are still spreading it and other patients get very sick very fast. And, um, and when absolutely. a patient uh, uh, presents, gets a positive test, what's the protocol? What do you tell them? What do you do with them? Well, at our office, they have to go into a quarantine for 10 days. Um, and we, we do have a, a, we notify the health department. Our office will call and follow up with the patients and check on them every couple of days just to make sure that they're, um, that they're feeling well and just kind of just touching base with them, you know, um, marking whether or not they're improved, if they've deteriorated or, or how the course of the illness is going. Um, and then, and then after that, I mean, it's, there is a convalescent plasma that folks that were positive for the coronavirus, their blood does have value in treating other patients that would, that would be in the hospital or that were, we're fighting off a very serious case. 
And, and how do you get that? Is at a at a blood bank. When you're if you're been if as long as you are symptom free and fully recovered from the infection, um, you can become eligible as a plasma donor at a blood bank, um, and you can donate every seven days for up to three months, and that could save someone else's life. Now, plasma is not as big a volume as blood. You couldn't donate blood every day for seven. No, no, no. It's yes, you're right. It's a bit. It's a smaller. It's they they actually just separate the plasma and I think and reinfuse the red blood cells back. So they're they're circulating it out like a blood machine. Yes, and plasma is really just protein, like a blood protein. So if you test positive uh, and you recover, you can be a benefit to society. Yes, yes. So that would be the only upside of getting. COVID-19. COVID and, and sur- of yeah. course, surviving. But yes, that you yeah. can turn around and help quite a few other folks recover from uh, COVID as well. Now, we're just about out of time, but I want to get a quick update on vaccinations. How are you doing in Florida on getting folks vaccinated? Oh, I don't know if you've heard. We have, you know, a real problem getting vaccinations here. Yes. And um, yeah, then we just, they, they, they're expected any day, but um, but they certainly are very hard to come by. Wow. And even some of the girls in my clinic would, I think one girl drove to Sarasota, which is probably like over an hour from Tampa just to, to get vaccinated. Got to um, stop you right there. Gotta, we are flat out of time, Dr. Ford. Thank you so much, Dr. Mark. Oh, you're Ford. most welcome. I'm Ron Aaron on behalf of my co-host, Dr. Marisa Charles. Thanks for joining us. On WellMed Radio. Thank you for listening to WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And please be sure to tune in next week for another edition of WellMed Radio.